So do you know what the most watched Olympic sport is? I'm going to guess gymnastics. No, it's actually swimming. Maybe it's just because they're all like super fit and good looking and they're basically naked. So Carla watches Olympics for the semi-nudity. <laughs> Welcome to Pennies and Popcorn, the show about real money lessons from the world of TV and movies. With your hosts, Carla Cash and Robert Davidson, a couple of personal finance geeks and movie lovers. Hey guys, welcome to today's show. We're going to be covering probably the biggest moment in TV happening right now, the Winter Olympics. Can I sing the theme song or is it copyrighted? It's unclear. Uh, uh, that's a dangerous proposition, Carla. I don't <laughs> want to get sued. I suppose I'm the one who went to law school. I'm going to not sing it, one, for your listening pleasure, and two, to avoid copyright problems. There you go. It's kind of funny. I call this the biggest thing on TV right now. I mean, we got the Super Bowl that, you know, is, is happening. So I kind of think that might be a little bit bigger and a little bit more prominent. Kudos to NBC for deciding to air both of those at the same time. Yeah, I have always been kind of enchanted by the Olympics and have usually watched at least some of every Olympics. But I don't know. I'm not sure that I am in the majority there. Have you always watched the Olympics? I think so. I mean, I'm a sports fan in general. The Olympic Games are different. You get to see sports that aren't on TV all the time. Yeah. So that, that keeps it kind of interesting and fresh. And I've enjoyed seeing that kind of competition. There's always those celebrities from the Olympics, the people who've done well, the people who exceeded expectations or who, who burst onto the stage and became kind of public figures. They're, they're kind of fun to follow. I always really like it. Just, I mean, you're seeing people who are at like the pinnacle of everything that they've worked for, right? It's just, it's emotional and it's exciting and there's lots of drama. It's kind of more soap opera-ish than normal sports. But I don't know, maybe that's just because I don't pay attention to normal sports. And that's what I hate about it. Gosh, so I watch the opening ceremonies, right? And half the opening ceremonies, well, half of it is them walking in a circle, that's which true. is really boring. <laughs> uh, you get to learn countries' names, while watching the Olympics, I think that's probably the most uh, informative part of that <laughs> opening ceremony. Uh, I, I like the fanfare and the cultural presentation that the host country always puts together in those opening ceremonies. But it just kind of dawned on me watching them this time before the Beijing Olympics, just how much of the, the broadcast that NBC or whoever's broadcasting the Olympics, they just fill it with bleh, soapy <laughs> family drama they try to like build up a story i just want to see people who are incredible at something interesting demonstrate just how many orders of magnitude better they are how many standard deviations away from the mean they are at being a baller at their thing and i don't really care about the like sob story or interesting family touching moment the the curling team guy and his little kid who's excited to tell his class about the fact that his dad got to carry the flag in the Olympic parade. Barf. <laughs> Don't care. Show me the sports. Show me the glory. All this human interest stuff. Not interesting. Okay. Well, two things. One, in a previous episode, I called into question whether Robert was a human or a humanoid robot. I think you have just demonstrated 
that there's a giant hole where your heart should be. You are, in <laughs> fact, a humanoid robot. Uh, second, you are in trouble because we are going to talk about like the human side of the Olympics today, what it costs to get to the Olympics, what you can earn as an Olympian. I mean, these are all like the human interest backstories. Yeah, I guess that's interesting, but not for an individual. It's more interesting like as for the population. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really care about Olympian number 72 on the United States team. Oh, we're going to talk about Olympian number 72. Is She's this, my favorite. Is this the uh, the biathlon person? Yeah. She, okay. Yeah. Some random sport <laughs> that we know nothing about that we don't really care about, but it's kind of fun to watch them do their race and see the whatever statistics the the broadcast company puts up on TV about uh, how fast they're going, how far behind the leader they are, what their shooting numbers were, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, I don't really care. I don't. I don't care about uh, their backstory. I just want to. I want them to be a robotic athlete, just mm-hmm. just like me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're quite the athlete. You should know. Well, you said you know you've watched the Olympics a lot, and you're not sure you're in the majority. If you're watching the 2022 Beijing Olympics, you're definitely in the minority. Everything I've seen has said that viewership is way way down this year. That people just aren't that excited to be watching. I'm sure some of it is Olympic fatigue. We had the Tokyo Olympics in the summer. So that wasn't too long ago instead of the every other year cycle that we're accustomed to. But even still, the Winter Olympics always kind of pale in comparison to the Summer Olympics. There's four times the athletes, so many more sports and events and uh, way more medals to go around, things that people can watch and appreciate. It's kind of hard to watch a cross-country skiing race. It's kind of long, kind of slow. You can't really tell who's going to pull ahead and win. It's kind of hard to watch a downhill slalom ski race. You can't really tell who's doing substantially better than somebody else except for the splits that they show on TV. Yeah. But you can watch a 100 meter or 200 meter race in the pool or on the track and get excited about it because it didn't last that long. And you can tell who's winning and you can see if somebody's coming from behind and, you know, it's fast and exciting. Whereas some of the winter sports, eh, less so. Yeah, the Summer Olympics definitely have more watchable sports. So do you know what the most watched Olympic sport is? I'm going to guess gymnastics. No, it's actually swimming. Really? People love swimming. Is it just because there are so many more events and it's it's put out for so much longer? Is it is it the Michael Phelps effect? That Has is it a, always been the case? These are all valid questions. I do not know the answer behind the statistics. I just know that it is, it is cited as the most watched Olympic sport. Which makes sense. I mean, one, swimming is just kind of fun. There's a lot of splashing. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of just drama with like, because you can see, you know, you can see the people in the pool. So it's like down to the wire and it gets kind of intense. I mean, there are many other sports where you can see a whole lot more about the competitor. I guess in the backstroke, you can at least see parts of their face. You know, the parts that are covered in goggles or a a swim cap or that are partially underwater. But most of the swimming is face underwater. You get like a quick turn here and there where people are grabbing a breath. It's it's really yeah. kind of an anonymous sport. Maybe it's just because they're all like super fit and good looking and they're basically naked. So Carla watches Olympics for the semi-nudity. <laughs> swimming isn't my favorite Olympic sport. Okay. But it is the most watched 
So So you think it's the pervy people kind of watching for mm-hmm. it's you know, the nudity. Seeing a little bit of, of, of skin. Uh-huh. You think people are disappointed when they used to wear those specialty suits that allow them to go super fast? I think they've changed the rules and the men can't wear yeah. as much of a body covering anymore, can't be the same material. Yeah. That that they, maybe they lost viewers and that's what that's what I'm caused sure them to change the rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay. So today we are going to do something a little bit different. We are going to be talking about some real world money issues because the Olympics are just so fascinating. I think a lot of us have this idea that if you're an Olympian, you must just kind of be awesome at life and everything that goes with it, which includes finances. But today we're going to dive into the reality of what it takes financially to become an Olympic athlete and how these people really afford to spend so much time training. We're going to dive into it. Was that an Olympic pun? Is the goal of today's show to throw in as many Olympic puns as we can? Let's try. Okay, let's do it. Okay. That was a Nike reference already. So Whoa, I'm, I'm winning. Okay. So if we're going to dive in, we're going to fire hit the firing pistol how do you start a race i don't know my olympic puns are that i need a lot of work <laughs> that's going to be a really bad episode you need to train robert oh okay got me again so let's say i'm an aspiring athlete and i have you know dreams of being in the olympics one day it's kind of expensive to get there right like how do i how do i make this happen how do i afford to do this the the us olympic committee do they pay for me to go live at some elite training center with the country's best coaches? The reality is that if you want to be an Olympic athlete in the United States, you are basically on your own. So there are stipends that the U.S. Olympic Committee pays out to athletes in order to subsidize their training and allow them to spend fewer hours or even no hours working to support themselves and just focus on their sport. But to qualify for those stipends, you basically have to already be like a huge badass. So if you have won a world championship, if you've already won an Olympic medal, or you have, quote, like demonstrated medal earning potential, then you can qualify for a pretty small stipend from the government. They generally have three tiers ranging from $500 per month up to $2,000 per month. So. You can qualify for those, but it's sort of like you already had to have become an Olympic athlete in order for the Olympic Committee to subsidize you continuing to be an Olympic athlete. So if you're just like a high school kid or a college kid who's striving to get better and like work up to that elite level and, you know, you're having to support yourself, you're not getting any help from the government to train or pay for your schooling or pay for your training, coaching, supplies, equipment, anything like that. So if I'm an elite taekwondo person in college and I'm I'm doing well in the national competitions for that at the collegiate level and I want to push myself, if I want to gear up and, and take it to the next level and compete not only against the people who are the, in the college bracket, but, but everybody at taekwondo, you're saying I got to go... I got to be independently wealthy to go fund that, basically? Pretty much, yeah. So well, this, this, That's why I don't do Taekwondo. Yeah, that is the one and only reason that you and I are not Olympic athletes is yeah. lack of funding. 
So it basically, the answer is that it is really, really tough to make it as an Olympian because the hours that are required to get to that elite level are so high and you're, that leaves very little time for actual working or careers and you're just not going to get very much help from the government. So most Olympians hold down just average regular Joe jobs and they train like crazy in their off hours. So okay. everything from like teachers, construction workers, dog walkers, I mean, <laughs> they do it all. Yeah. So they're just regular people who spend 100% of their free time and 100% of their free money making sure that they can be the best of the best at whatever it is that they do and compete in. Yeah. So there are a couple of companies that have sponsored the Olympics. And as part of their sponsorship, they have allowed athletes to come and work for them. And they give them a lot of benefits, like paying for their equipment and giving them really flexible hours so that they can train, go to competitions, do all the things they need to, to do to be an elite athlete. So Home Depot was doing that for a long time. They let their sponsorship expire in 2010. So that left a lot of athletes high and dry. Dick's Sporting Goods stepped up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read about Dick's. So during the opening ceremonies, they had that annoying human interest stuff about this curling guy. Yeah. Uh, and I decided, it's like, there's no professional curling circuit, is there? Like, I don't know. Surely this guy who's in, I think it was his fifth Olympics or something like that. He's been around for a long time. Surely he's not making a living playing curling around the world. And I went to go look that up. And sure enough, it seemed like several of the people who are into curling, they work at Dick's because they have this exact program that they, they recognize that elite, elite athletes need a different work-life balance than many other people do. And they basically set up work hours that allow them to, to be flexible to go compete in the different tournaments and, and competitions that exist in their sport that allow them to have the time to go train. And it, it, I'm sure it looks good on the brand. So unfortunately, what I read is that Dick Sporting Goods just pretty recently let their sponsorship lapse as no. well. No. Well, is yeah. their sponsorship or their program? The, both. Wow. It was, they so they said, if you're, if you're an athlete, too bad. COVID has hurt us too much and we, we, gotta, we can't give that away anymore? Effective. Well, I don't know if it was directly related to COVID, but I guess they just decided they weren't getting enough bump to their sales out of it. Hopefully some of their employer at some point will step up and put on a similar program. Academy. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I feel like we've seen a bunch of Delta commercials in the Olympics. I, I don't know who else is a huge sponsor of the program, but yeah, it seems I don't know that anyone's going to carry that torch. Boom, Olympic pun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So one other thing to note about getting paid to train is that individual sports can also sometimes kick in a little bit to provide athletes training money, so to speak, basically like living expenses. Is that from the Olympic Committee? Is that from some other group of funding? So for example, USA Swimming is a thing in and of itself. And if you rank in the top 16 in an Olympic event, you can qualify to get a stipend from USA Swimming I think up to like 40K per year. So that's a good chunk that should cover most of your or all of your living expenses if you're careful with it. Yeah, but your living expenses aren't just, you know, normal things like what you and I have in our lives. You got to eat that Michael Phelps diet where it's 12,000 <laughs> calories a day. Your food budget is going to be big. That's true. I totally didn't think about your giant food budget yeah, if but you're <laughs> an Olympic swimmer. 
your your budget as well has to include all of the tools for training, right? You you got to have a, a specialty gym membership, I imagine, right? If you're if you're a swimmer, you got to have access to a pool that you can go get to all the time for your swimming. If yeah, you are, and you can't be like bumping into somebody like me who's going at a snail's pace while <laughs> they're trying to, to like why. It's get not out of be my good way. Enough. I'm trying to train for the Olympics. Right. Yeah. Uh, if you are a Winter Olympian and you are a speed skater, you're going to have to have a place where you can get on the ice. Yeah. Yeah. The winter sports are definitely more expensive as a general rule, I would think, because the winter facilities are just harder to get to all the time. Yeah. I, I think those hobbies, most people are going to get into these sports after starting them as a young child and discovering that they are better than their peers and are really excited about it and really good at it. Uh, but those hobbies that they started in when they were young were already pretty expensive and only accessible to people who are doing pretty well financially as a family before that. Yeah, that's very true. So speaking of Olympians' families, there have been a couple of examples of Olympian parents who have really struggled. And I think that's just proof of how incredibly expensive it is to have a kid who's you know, going all the way in these sports and you've got to pay for the coaches and the facilities and the, you know, equipment and private training and uniforms. So the two famous examples are Gabby Douglas, who was an Olympic gold medalist in gymnastics in 2012 and 2016. Her parents filed for bankruptcy in 2012, just before she kind of hit it big as an Olympian. I mean, it's no surprise. They were paying for her to go to, I'm sure, some elite gymnastics coaching yeah. from the time she was probably a toddler, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. And Ryan Lochte, who turned out to be kind of a douchey guy, <laughs> was an Olympic swimmer. Um, his parents had their house foreclosed on. And I think that was actually after he had already had some Olympic success. So that may have been... Well, was potentially he, unrelated to Ryan <laughs> Was he leaning on them to pay for his training? Because, like as you said, you got to pay. So, if you're an adult aspiring to be in the Olympics, you got to have your normal living cost, your access to whatever it is you're competing in's cost, and the access to the training, like the trainer, a professional expert who's mm-hmm. going to give you their time to help you get to your best. Not very many people are going to be able to win in the Olympics or even make it to the Olympics without the support of some kind of expert to train and coach them. And parents typically are going to be funding that when kids are young, maybe when the people get older, it's more on the athlete themselves, but man, that's a, that's a lot of money. So well, let's fast forward and assume you've already made it to the Olympics. Your parents, like the U S doesn't fly your parents out there unless you're one of those human interest people, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. NBC might fly you out there if they really want you on camera. But no, the Olympic Committee does pay for the athletes to get to wherever the Olympics are this year. It's Beijing. Um, but other than that, they're not paying the athletes to be there. That is not true across the board. Some countries pay their athletes just for showing up and They pay you for making the team? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But if you're an American Olympian, you're just getting your expenses covered to get there. Okay. Well, what about when you win? Because obviously the goal is to to win a medal. If you get a gold medal, do you get the gold? So the short answer is yes. I find this to be so fascinating because, 
you know, you see these people having their Olympic moments and you think it's just like, well, they're excited. Like they put in all this hard work. And I'm sure that's so much of what they're excited about and, you know, tearing up about when they're standing up on the podium. But also they're really excited because they've just won a lot of money in most cases. So the United States is actually way low on the list in terms of what countries pay for medals. So we pay 37500 for a gold medal. Okay. 22500 for a silver medal and 15000 for a bronze medal. So it's... What, what about fourth place? Pat on the back. Damn. Good try. Come again next four years. <laughs> Better luck in four years. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Zip, zero, not up. Okay. Just it, the medals. In the team sports, those aren't split across all the teammates, right? Each individual person gets them? What a good question. I assume so. Okay. Yeah, because you've each won a medal. <laughs> Congratulations. Your hockey team gets to split your $22,000 prize amongst the 22 of you. I don't yeah. know how many people are on a hockey roster. That would be that would be less exciting for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, it definitely pays. Do you want to take a guess at which country pays the most for an Olympic medal? I, I'm sort of inclined to pick a country that seems like they really have a machine that gets people ready for the Olympics. Like I feel like you hear about China and the camps that they have to help people become the best divers or the best whatever. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't seem like that's what they would do. They've got so many people to pick from. They could probably just find them. Uh, maybe somebody like Russia, but uh, I don't seem rich enough. Let's go with a country that doesn't win very often, but that has a lot of money, like some sort of Middle Eastern oil company like Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia is my guess. That is incorrect. Kazakhstan actually is really high on the list. They pay like hundreds of thousands of dollars in the low hundreds of thousands. The right answer is Singapore. Oh, tiny old little Singapore, just that little island? Mm-hmm. That okay. is the one, which we just did a Crazy Rich Asians episode, which takes place in Singapore. Apparently, the country's super wealthy. So does Nick, I'm taking does away Nick from. Young from Crazy Rich Asians yeah, pay the money? Is he personally writes the check. Okay. That, is, that is correct. That makes sense. So, so Singapore, do you know what the population of Singapore is? Oh, no, I do not. I don't either, but it can't be that big. It's not a very large place. So they aren't giving away that much money very often. Like, do you know what their medal history is? Have they actually had to give out their grand prize? Yeah, they have won. In fact, I think, um, I don't remember what year it was or what his name was. But there was a Singaporean swimmer. Who, Ooh, swimmers go in a lot of medals. Yeah. And he beat out one of the top U.S. people. It might have been Ryan Lochte. It might have been Michael Phelps um, to take home a huge cash prize of, drumroll please, $737,000 in U.S. dollar equivalent. Okay. That, I mean, I guess I'd become an athlete for that. Yeah. It's a pretty good incentive. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's silver medals. They pay 369000 Steep drop off. Yeah. And bronze gets 184 Okay. Well, what I'm hearing here is that you know, in the 2022 Beijing Olympics, there are stories about people who I think maybe spent a lot of time in their life in the United States, but are representing China or mm -hmm. representing another country. There's certainly people who are representing other countries who maybe couldn't make the U.S. team. That happens a lot in sports. But if you have the opportunity to choose between the U.S. team and Team Singapore and you have the chance to medal, I think I'm going to 
I'm going to give myself a chance at that uh, <laughs> yeah. that uh, 20x payday, mm-hmm. whatever that is. I mean, that's a pretty big step up. 37, 737. Yeah, I'm going to go with Singapore. It's quite the payday. So that would definitely subsidize you to continue your training and be good to go for the next Olympics if that is your goal. Also just sets you up to do pretty much whatever you want to do. Yeah. So quite the chunk of change. Taiwan is a very close second. They pay $720,000 as their top prize for a gold medal. They have an even steeper drop-off. It goes down to two fifty dollars for a silver medal and then one seventy eight dollars for a bronze. So pretty big drop-off there. But, I mean, these are like enormous life-changing sums of money for sure. Whereas $37,500, I mean, it could be life-changing in some respects for sure, but it's not going to be like forever life-changing. Are those Olympians super celebrated in those home countries? I mean, in the United States... We get excited about certain sports and certain athletes. Nobody cares about the guy who won judo or our badminton team, right? Like if we had some sort of baller ski jumper, I don't think anyone would know his name a month after the Olympics were over. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about that. So the next thing I want to touch on is who are the really rich Olympians and how did they get there? Because most Olympians, like you pointed out, are just living in total obscurity. Like it's an awesome thing to get to say to people in your life. And actually, I think there's a local mayor um, in a nearby town to us who is a former Olympian. And I'm sure that was a large part of why she got elected because people just think being an Olympian is really cool, right? Like it's just- You're elite at something. Maybe you'll be elite at this. Yeah. So it's definitely a really great gold star to have in your memory books, even if you didn't win anything. But it It doesn't. I was going to say, it seems like it'd be really helpful for a sales job or something, right? Like you have interesting stories to tell. You've been to some cool places, probably gone to compete in a bunch of different things. That's true. That like people that you'd be selling to wouldn't have a whole lot of, you know, ability to one up you on that. It'd just be really interesting for them to hear about the glory days when you were competing on the um, slope style course. I, I don't know. I don't know any of the <laughs> events. I'm so terrible at this. Yeah. I bought my car from a 1998 Olympian. I, yeah. mean, I guess well, that's a thing people could be excited I, about. <laughs> I guess I meant more of like long-term relationship building sales. So rather than, you know, person to person, maybe person to, business to business, where you represent your business, you build a relationship with some other business and your your personality and your backstory uh, is a big part of helping to to push those things forward. Yeah, that's totally fair. I can see it being a huge just kind of resume booster in a lot of different arenas. So you said you want to talk about rich Olympians. So if we're talking about United States Olympians, or global even, I mean, probably we're talking about people who compete in the sports that are popular outside of the Olympics, right? People people like, like the NBA, the dream team, right? We've had NBA mm-hmm. players compete in the Olympics, those guys do all right. I'm pretty sure Michael Jordan in 1992 won a gold medal. Uh, he's one of the wealthiest athletes of all time. So he's up there. Uh, yeah. I, so Michael Jordan is the richest Olympian of all time. He has competed in the Olympics. But I think what's interesting about this is that all of these people that we're about to talk about, almost none of them made their wealth 
like as a result of the Olympics. Well, yeah. I mean, if you play, a, if you're a professional athlete in a sport that gets a whole lot of publicity, if you're a professional tennis player, that's really great. Or a, a baseball player, a, a soccer player, whatever it is. One of the things that we care about outside of the Olympics. Sure. You could, you could get big endorsement deals. You can have a big contract in your sport. I mean, that's not surprising at all. So let's, let's just go down the list and talk about a few of these really wealthy Olympians. So Michael Jordan sits well comfortably at the top of the heap with a net worth of about $1.4 billion, probably like 0.000001% of that came from any Olympic dealings, I would guess. Yeah, I, I'm, like, I don't think his brand materially improved when they won the Olympics. I yeah. think he was already Michael Jordan. Yeah, so. 100%. Um, the Winklevoss twins, aka the Winklevi, are <laughs> the Facebook people. Yes, the from, cryptocurrency from people? the social network. Okay. Yeah, so they were um, what is it called? Crew rowing. Yeah, they, they did rowing. Yeah, yeah, as we saw in the social network. Um, so they bought millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin back in like 2013, which today is worth a lot of money. So the Winklevoss twins sit pretty close to the top of the heap with their... Those Winklevies. Yeah, those Winklevies everywhere you turn are just kicking butt and taking names. Okay. The other folks are going to be people like Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, LeBron James, Roger Federer, Floyd Mayweather, who I honestly had to refresh my memory. I was pretty sure he was a boxer, but... Well done. Turns out I was right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so people who have done exceedingly well in sports... Outside of the care Olympics. About. <laughs> yeah, those are people who are like way, way at the top of the list of the richest Olympians. Then you have people who like the Olympics is basically like a footnote in their career. These days, it's not what they're known for anymore. So Caitlyn Jenner really came to fame through reality television, but, you know, had a successful career as an Olympian as well. Jennifer Gates sits close to the top of the heap. I don't know who that is. Yeah, take a guess. Bill Gates's daughter? That is correct. Okay. <laughs> so she is wealthy because she is Bill and Melinda Gates's daughter and not because of anything having to do with the Olympics. What did she compete in? Uh, equestrian. <laughs> One of those Richie sports anyway. Correct. <laughs> uh, also competing in equestrian was a woman named Zara Tyndall, who is British royalty. She's like 17th in line to take the British throne. If all 16 people die, then Zara Tyndall's in luck. Um, So she's got a pretty hefty (laughs) net worth that has nothing to do with the Olympics. Um, Ivana Trump is a very wealthy Olympian. That is Donald Trump's, I think, first wife, mother of Ivanka, whom we all know, of course. And yeah, she is a very wealthy Olympian. Again, not at all because she was an Olympian, but because she was Donald Trump's Like a divorce settlement or something? Yeah. (laughs) So I think she was an alternate skier on the Czech team in 1972. Nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like this crazy random list of human beings who qualify as like a super rich Olympian who are not at all known for being Olympians. Which I think is very telling. Like it is not generally a super good idea to go into any kind of Olympic sport because you're planning to get wealthy from it. So what about like the non 
crazy non like family wealth people who aren't professional basketball players or pro tennis players do we have any data on the most successful or, or any interesting stories of people who have managed to have a lot of financial success because of their participation in ice dancing or whatever so ice dancing no but so i do have some stats on kind of like pure Olympians, people who are known just for being Olympians and have become wealthy as a result of that. More directly related to it. Yeah. So obviously this their their wealth is not coming from the $37,500 that they won um, from getting their gold medals. It's from all of the fallout from that, fallout in a good way, all of the outflow of that. So the endorsement sure. deals are obviously the biggest way that people get wealthy. Television appearances, book deals, speaking gigs. All of these things add up to a lot of money. So the the few people that I would qualify as like pure Olympians who got wealthy as a result would be the people coming from the most popular sports. So of course, Michael Phelps and Sean White are like the two biggest ones. Their net worth is somewhere in like the 50 to $60 million range. Tons of sponsorships. I'm sure they, like, they have endorsements and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. They're very, they've been marketed heavily. Yeah. And Sean White, I know, has done a lot of entrepreneurial stuff as well, started a lot of his own businesses that have really thrived because of his success and fame through the Olympics. Yeah. I mean, if you're Sean White, you can make your own like snowboarding gear and people are going to be excited to buy it. And he does. Yeah. Yeah. So Michael Phelps and Sean White are definitely at the top of the heap. But you also have people like Usain Bolt, who's done fabulously well. And I think that's largely due to the Olympics. I know he's had a lot of success outside the Olympics too. And track and field, I think, is yeah, one. I'm sure he's made money in the professional track circuit. Yeah. But I'm sure he's also made a lot more money because of his global person- persona and personality uh, that was exhibited so yeah. broadly in the Olympics. Yeah, the Olympics just catapulted him to a totally different level of fame than he would have had if he'd just been like a non-Olympic track guy. Yeah, I mean, we can look at the the track performers in the U.S. from the same time period, and I'm, I'm imagining that they are not on the same level of wealth. Yeah, so it's basically swimming, track, gymnastics, and figure skating. So it's the people who can end up on a Wheaties box. Yeah, so you've got folks like Simone Biles, who's really crushing it, getting a lot of endorsement deals. Um, Oksana Bayul is actually apparently done really, really well. She won the Olympic gold medal for Ukraine in 92, 94. Yeah. So that's really your only pathway to becoming like super wealthy as a result of your involvement with the Olympics is to be a very, very good gymnast, figure skater, swimmer, or track star. Well, surely you can get super wealthy as a country by hosting the Olympics, right? Oh, yeah, that's a guaranteed path to wealth. Oh, <laughs> wrong, right? <laughs> uh, everything I've read is that hosting the Olympics is quite the money sink. It's it's very, very expensive to build all the specialty facilities. Very rarely does a host city have everything they need already. And you don't want to just use all your old dilapidated facilities. You got to put something new and fresh together. And there's a bit of a competition. Although I, I seem to remember some of the more recent Olympic host competition things where a lot of countries backed out pretty quickly and there weren't that many that were interested. So. Yeah, it used to be such an honor and there was fierce competition to be the host city. 
And that has slowly waned over time as people looked at the price tag and they looked at the profits and went, hmm, maybe this isn't such a hot idea. Yeah, the tourism for a few weeks around the Olympics isn't going to be enough to cover the oodles of money that it costs to go put that together. Yeah. I mean, how many people are going to swing by for the next few years to watch, to walk by? Oh, that, that's where the Olympic flame is. Neat. Can, yeah. I can't imagine it's that huge of a draw. For sure. I would not be super excited to go see an Olympic flame. I wouldn't go out of my way to go do it. I mean, in 2019, we were in Europe for a long time and we went to many cities that hosted the Olympics and we didn't go by yeah. any of their Olympic facilities. Yeah, that's true. We didn't. Well, there you go. We did walk. I think we walked by Munich. Didn't they have some sort of Olympic flame thing we walked by? Gosh, if we saw it, I don't even remember it. So there you go. Yeah, well. Not super exciting stuff. Just a fire. I will say that I was really impressed that China, who hosted the Olympics in the Summer Olympics in 2008. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is reusing some of their facilities. So they have the the crow's nest, right? That's Is that the track stadium? Or, I mean, it's, it's where they did the opening ceremonies yeah. in one of their big big stadiums in the Summer Olympics before. It was a really beautiful looking building. They reused that uh, for the opening ceremonies here for this Olympics. They also had the the water cube or whatever that thing was called, the, the, the really cool looking square building. I remember so different at the Summer Olympics in 2008 watching it. And now they've got it all lit up at night and looks kind of cool in the winter opening ceremonies because they're reusing it as the... It's no longer the pool cube. It's the, the ice cube, yeah. you know, the water cube to the ice cube. So that's kind of a, a fun thing. I read that they're doing some of the curling events there. So I'm hopeful that when you have some infrastructure for big international sporting events like this, you're able to reuse it. I kind of wish they would switch to a model where there is one host for you know, the different games mm-hmm. somewhere that has like really exceptional infrastructure for it like if if you're hosting winter olympics you gotta have a mountain nearby for people to go skiing on that's gonna have reliable snow yeah it would make a lot of economic sense but you would lose that sense of like seeing different parts of the world there's definitely some value maybe not enough value to justify rebuilding the facilities every time but there's some value in exposing people to different cultures and different parts of the world and so i would be a little bit hesitant to do that, but yeah, it is so expensive. And as you pointed out with the snow, so that is one thing that's getting harder and harder as we face more climate change struggles. So this year, the Olympics in Beijing are almost 100% fake snow. They are in the middle of a really difficult drought and they just, they just flat didn't have it. So all that pretty white snow that you see on TV this year, that is man-made. It has not fallen from the sky. So that's a, a bit of a bummer. So generally speaking, it costs anywhere from like 30 to $50 billion to be the host city for the Olympics. That's crazy. Yeah. Like why, why can't we have somebody and give them a, let them have a contract to go host the Olympics for, you know, the next five summer Olympics or five winter Olympics. And we can pick country. Like we, I think we expect the Olympics to be in some sort of, huge country like the United States or like China or somewhere that has a whole lot of population and is a major player in global geopolitics. I don't have to do that. Like we could- Let's go to Liechtenstein. Yeah, well, maybe a little bit bigger than that, but go, you know, they did the, was it the Lilyhammer Olympics? Oh yeah. Uh, 
right? Norway isn't that big. It's not that huge of a country. They are really stinking good at the Winter Olympics. Actually, Norway pays Zippo to its medal winners. Yeah, well, that's because basically everyone gets around Norway (laughs) cross-country skiing. That's right. I believe that. Uh, and, and effectively, they could just get anybody anybody off the street, and they'll probably be a competitor in most of the you know the cross country skiing events. So I, I get it. Ski jumping is basically no different than you know going off the one meter springboard at your local neighborhood pool. Uh huh. So, that sounds right for sure. Yeah, but I mean, you could pick a country like that where they have the infrastructure that you need. You could set it up. They could build this Olympic village. It could be great. They could make improvements over time, and then every. You know, every decade we could have a competition for who's going to host the next 20 years of Summer Olympics and then 10 years later, who's going to host the next 20 years of Winter Olympics. Yeah. And go do that. And it makes way more sense for everybody. Sure, you'll have a minor home ice advantage, but I think it would be just a better use of resources. There are so many big global events that happen in different sports. Can we find a way to make this equitable and not just spend so much on Fru-fru fan, fanfare? Yeah, it is an enormous price tag. And even though I see the value in hopping around from country to country, I don't know if it quite justifies furthering that much money that I'm sure could be spent far more usefully in a lot of different ways. So China has claimed that its price tag for this year's 2022 Winter Olympics is only a little under $4 billion, which is shockingly low compared to most of the previous ones, but apparently that number may not be exactly on the up and up. So there are a lot of people who are saying, hey, look, you're you're just not counting all these huge improvements that you've been making to the city, but you're doing this for the Olympics. You have to count this in the cost. So China has said, we'll get you our final number on what everything costs like six months after the events are over. But for now, they're saying their estimate is like four. Well, I mean, who cares, right? It doesn't really matter. Uh, no one's, they're not sending out a bill to be split amongst the countries. They're, they decided to own it and take responsibility for it. Well, it's, it's an important number in that it lets future potential hosts know kind of what to expect. If they were really able to do it for that cheaply, then they need to be telling everybody how they pulled it off, right? Because everyone else is spending 10x plus on that. Yeah, I mean, I just think about like how much does it cost to build an NFL stadium these days? Like a billion dollars, maybe yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. So how, there are so many facilities that you have to go create from the Olympic Village with all the housing and everything else. It's it's pretty crazy. So I think the bottom line for this episode is that being an Olympian is expensive. It's expensive for the host cities. It's expensive for the athletes themselves. The Olympics in general are just an extremely costly venture and we get so much out of it. It's, you know, promotes peace and unity and healthy competition, but it comes with a pretty hefty price tag. So for any of you dreaming of becoming an Olympian out there, take careful stock of how much it's going to cost you. Yeah. Not going to be an easy path. Well, we hope you guys learned a little bit about the cost of the Olympics today and some fun money facts about Olympians. And we'll catch you next time. Yeah. Go for the gold.